welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. We've got a very special podcast today. We have Marshall Davis with us. Marshall, thank you for being with us today, sir. I'm glad to be here, buddy. Thank you. I got introduced to Marshall from his book, The Tao of Christ. How many books have you published? I have lost count, so I don't, I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I, they, I, yeah. I think it's somewhere around 20 or something. Are they? What's your website so they could see everything that you have if they uh, wanted to? You can, my blog site, you can find at pastordavis.com, and that will take you to my blog, which has links to my podcast and my YouTube channel and my Amazon author page. So that's the best way to go to it. So okay. pastordavis.com or marshalldavis.us, not .com or .net, but .us. Very good. I have thoroughly enjoyed your podcast, by the way. I would consider myself a recovering Christian, I think. My ideas of what God is and the higher power and all those things has so transformed over the last few years. And what I hear you speak on the podcast so resonates with me and what I'm experiencing in my journey as well. Oh, before I forget, any announcements, guys, or any helps that you need, check out buddyc.org. Look under resources. There's several things there. And also, I've gotten some, I have a sober meditations app, as a lot of people know, that gets thousands of downloads a month. It's offline at the moment. I'm waiting on them. to. There was some update that they didn't do that I'm waiting on them to get done. If you're not able to access that at the moment, it will be up soon. So I just want to let you know that. Uh, Marshall, I really would just like to hear, I know you're not, this is not a recovery-related interview, but this is more of a knowing God-related interview, which everything is that anyway, isn't it? It's all knowing who we are, right? Could you explain your journey to us a little, just share your journey with us? Okay. When I'm asked that, I never exactly know what to say because you can tell your story in so many different ways from so many different perspectives and you can leave out things and put things in. So, uh, but I, I grew up in a um, uh, traditionally Christian home, not a fundamentalist home like sounds like you did, but just a main mainstream Protestant uh, congregational church in Massachusetts. And and we we did that because that was the thing you did back in the fifties. And uh, but I soon began to question that. And by the time I was in junior high and in high school, I pretty much had decided I was an atheist. But I was still interested in spiritual things. And um, and so even when I got into uh, college, even though I was going to go into science and I had declared myself as a geology major at the very beginning, 
I was still interested in philosophical and religious things, and I ended up becoming a religion major just because I wanted to dedicate myself entirely to this spiritual search. And uh, so I did a lot of study and reading uh, on this. Long story short, it was near the end of college that I became a Christian, a born-again Christian, evangelical Christian. I had that traditional conversion experience. And since I tend to be a person that kind of goes all in, I said, this is the truth. I'm going to dedicate my whole life to that, to this. And so I quickly, um, after college, uh, entered into seminary with the intention, really, of of teaching. But uh, once I got into seminary, I realized and started doing some preaching and some pastoring as a student pastor. I realized that uh, pastoral ministry was really uh, had an attraction to me. So I became a pastor. And even then, I wasn't fully sure whether I was going to stay a pastor or whether I was going to teach. I actually got into the PhD program in seminary, but then switched that to the doctor ministry when I really decided that pastoral ministry was really where I wanted to be. So I, I did that, and I was a pastor from my first full-time church was in 1978, and I was a student pastor before that, as early as 1975. And, and so I was a pastor in various states and various churches, all Baptist churches, either American Baptist churches or Southern Baptist churches. The seminary I went to was actually the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And then in my one of my last churches, I was having some difficulties with the denomination, with the church conflict. It caused me to reexamine uh, everything about about church and about therefore about Christianity so I did I began a deconstruction of my Christian faith I ended up actually taking a a year off I was burned out and I was having a difficult time and I decided I'm just going to step back for a year I'm going to investigate this as thoroughly as I possibly can end up being a year and a half and and then I went back into ministry and I came up to up here to, to New Hampshire, but I was still in the process of deconstructing <laughs> my my faith. My sermons were in the form of questions. Is God real? Is what is truth? Very basic thing. Nothing was off limits. And when I went through the whole process and I used a lot of information that I was reading at that time, the the new atheism was very popular, so I read all these new atheist books, and they were very helpful as far as cutting through all the junk and all the smoke and mirrors and all the all the assumptions that Christians have that we do not like to examine. So that was they atheism made me the best Christian I possibly could be because That's it cut good. through all, all the bad, all, all the bad stuff. But uh, now, uh, Marshall, if I could yeah, ask, yeah. you said you were an atheist. Now, yeah. were you 
more of an agnostic or an actual atheist where you said there is no God or the way I understand agnosticism would be you can't prove there is one or not? Or how far right. did you go with that? When I was young, when I was in junior high and high school, I would have said atheist. In fact, right. I was reading at that time, some light reading, the the French existentialist. Oh, yes. Good <laughs> yeah, bedtime read. Yeah, Camus and, and Sartre and, and all of that. So I pat myself after that and saw myself in that way. When I was doing this deconstruction, it was I had I was simply asking questions, so I did not know. It was really closer to an agnosticism that I was that I was exploring. You know, what can I really know? And uh, and I realized that I I can't really hardly know anything for sure. Exactly. I mean, if you kept, kept out of all, all these assumptions that, that Christians buy into and the presuppositions that Christians buy into, what are those based upon? Anyway, I was doing this deconstruction, and then I had. And right at the right at that time, I was also went through a health crisis, where uh, a primary care physician uh, told me that I had pancreatic cancer and would not have long to live. How fatal and how quickly moving pancreatic cancer is. So that uh, kind of intensified my uh, my search. <laughs> right. Know, if right. you don't have much time, you don't mess around. You're gonna you're gonna find out. You better find out soon, or you're not gonna find out. And so I so that even though that period of thinking I was gonna die only lasted for a week, and I had some other uh, tests done, and they found out that diagnosis was wrong. That had nothing to do with my pancreas at all. End up being my gallbladder, which is easily taken care of. Get rid of that. Uh, wow. Fine so- after that, but that was really. A kind of a death experience, if you will, and so far as coming to grips with my mortality, and and I did that. That was happening at the same time as this radical deconstruction of my Christian faith, and that it, it prompted a, a a spiritual awakening, you might say, or a a shift in perspective when I I I saw what I wasn't. I knew what I wasn't. When I saw what I was not, what was left was what I really was, which meant to me that the the self, the personal separate psyche or ego really did not exist. And that I was transparent, if you will. I ceased to exist and what there was, was God. So Paul's statement and Galatians is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me really became my theme verse, if you will. That was my reality, that I no longer was only God. Isaiah's vision and Isaiah 6, his vision in the temple, where he says, woe is me, I am undone, for I have seen the Lord. Right. That I was undone. I ceased to exist. And it was not me anymore, but it was simply God. And this God, this divine reality could not be described with any terms at all. It simply was, is, is being. And that became a experience, an underlying experience, and continues to be today. And this is 11 years later. Continues wow. to be the foundation consciousness awareness 
of my life. And at first, I didn't know when this happened, the shift happened. I didn't know what words to use to describe it. I I began to do reading and and listening online, and I found that the vocabulary of what is being called non-duality really seemed to resonate with what I was experiencing, what I knew to be true. But even then, I have a hard time communicating it without a spiritual vocabulary, and my spiritual vocabulary is Christianity. So I began to describe this using the vocabulary that I knew, which was which was Christian. And so it, this developed into what I call Christian non-duality, which some people think is an oxymoron. You can't be non-dual at the same time, describe it by a, an adjective like Christian. But, but if you understand you're simply using the vocabulary to describe something that cannot be described, then that's what I mean by Christian non-duality. So anyway, so that's what happened. That was in 2012, and then I began to try to talk about this, and I began to preach about this because I was still a pastor at that time. And uh, and I found out that people uh, had a hard time hearing what I was saying, yes. <laughs> understanding, and being able to right. accept it, even yeah. though this church that I most recently pastor and still attend is a quite open-minded church, but even this was hard to get the minds around. So I then realized that if I was going to continue to be a pastor there, I had to put it in when I could, but I couldn't make it all about me and right. my experience. Right. Needed. So anyway, so I continue that till I retired in 2016. So I retired from active, from full-time Christian ministry in 2016 and been doing some writing and blogging and things. And once the part, once the pandemic came, then I started doing it seriously. The podcast and the YouTube channel, Christian non-duality. So that pretty much brings us up to and now. I have a couple of questions for you. One, I think it's interesting how, how you tried to share this in your church. It's almost like, we have to, after people know, after you have that knowing, start that change, then you're receptive. It's almost like an after the, my grandmother would say bass backwards, but it's after the fact. Because if I share this with someone who has not experienced at least a little bit of this, they're going to try to find ways that it's incorrect or ways that it's wrong. That divisiveness that creates the duality that you right. talk about, um, and it's it's interesting how that it's a whole other approach. Really, it's an experience based approach. I think a lot more than a instructional approach. And if you start using terms like the Tao or the Tao right. Te Ching, like one of the first things I did was lead a discussion, a class on the Tao Te Ching at a local yoga center, which got some people quite upset. Right. Because uh, they thought <laughs> they thought it was really 
anti-Christian or demonic or something. Had no, they had no idea what it was at all, but they knew it could had to be bad because it sounded <laughs> I didn't bad. Know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was fact that I tried to explain that the Tao is the Logos, is the Word, is Christ. The, the, and this is really was the the understanding even and some of the early church fathers they understood that there were Christians before Christ and but that doesn't go these days in most churches especially those who identify themselves with the more evangelical and more conservative type of Christianity anything that smacks of what they would label as Eastern religion is seen as dangerous and should be avoided. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For me, I I felt like I was at first, I, f- I felt like I was committing a sin, so to speak, or not being true to God. If I questioned how this worked at first, I really felt bad about stepping out of the box, so to speak that condemnation with, and then I realized that most of my beliefs were fear-based beliefs, not love-based beliefs. They were all trying to keep me out of hell. And it was about some future reward rather than living it now and being able to experience God in the moment and realizing it's all the same. And that that took a long time, and it, it seems like it came about by knowing. I didn't read something say, yeah, that's it. It was like, oh, now I know this that I didn't know 10 minutes before. It's almost right. like that kind of a evolution. Um, yeah, that's – so they didn't ostracize you all together, it sounds like. Oh, no, like I said, it was an, it was an open-minded church. The church already knew me back when I was much more traditional. This was actually – the, I was returning to this church. I had been a pastor at this church for 12 and a half years, and I left to go elsewhere, and I came back again. So they already knew me from then, so they trusted right. me. I built up a relationship with a lot of the people, and even though half the people had changed, had moved or died or something, still there was a half of the congregation that was still still knew who I was, and so they trusted me. So they trusted me to ask these questions out loud and as right. a congregation. So it was a very healthy thing to be able to do this, not in isolation from the church, but to do this questioning and this searching as the, a leader of, of the church. Wow. And, uh, That's oh, one question I have for you. So you started studying the Tao Te Ching. I, I studied the Tao Te Ching back in college. As a, yeah. So did you, when you pulled this back out, because you obviously did, because yes. you wrote the book, and when you started discussing it, did it come alive to you in ways that, I'm sure it did, in ways that you never considered before? I saw Christ in it. Yes. Uh, I didn't see Christ before. Before, I thought East was East and West is West, and <laughs> never the twain shall meet, but I, <laughs> I realized that there is no east or west. These are human constructs, and that there's one reality, and there's one truth that is, I think, at the core of spiritual traditions all over the world. And 
this core, which I call Christ, which I call Christ, is the same core that the Tao Te Ching calls the Tao. Yes. In fact, the fact that the fact that the Tao means the way, and Jesus said, "I am the way," <laughs> says says a lot right there. Yeah, I. It helped when I found out too about the Jesus Sutras. I'm sure you've read about those. Yes, things. I did. Yeah, and how China was basically a Christian nation for several hundred years back. In the late, what, 600 to 1,000 or so is what I read. And it was so easy for them to accept Christ because they were used to the idea of the Tao and and how the Tao was very similar in a lot of ways. So I could see how that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. And when the, I think I mentioned even the preface to this, to, to my book, The Tao of Christ, that the the earliest and still the most common translation of the of the New Testament today says in the beginning was the and the Tao is wow. the, yes the God yeah. and the Tao was God yeah. that shows the connection that they knew that these Chinese Christians that were translating the New Testament knew between what the Chinese call the Tao and what John called the Logos or the Word, which is the eternal, immortal, cosmic Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. Yeah. With that, I've realized, too, that everyone has their own love language or God language, whatever name you want to put on it, so that you may describe it one way. I may describe another, but we're all, it's like we were born with different languages. So there's not a right or wrong language. The same with us with a, a spiritual language. There, It's all yes. the same, just saying the same thing with just using different words. So that way I, I, I stopped judging and condemning people for not speaking like I spoke. Right. And that's true. Not just of the vocabulary that we use, but with ideas. Yes. We all have our uh, vocabulary of ideas, you could say, in which we try to make sense of reality. And some and Christianity has this set of ideas, and Buddhism has a set of ideas, and Hinduism has a set of ideas, and Islam has a set of ideas. These all these sets of ideas are all tr- approximations of this one reality, which is at the root of it. Yes, of it all. and it- each of these religions go off and become very antagonistic to other religions. Yeah. All of them do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the spiritual and each of these religions have a seem to have a spiritual practice that those who are true disciples of that religion seem to start looking like the other side. It's like the mountain of spirituality. The, yes. the closer you get to the top, the more the similar they look. Right. Uh, the same thing. Every every practice that I know of has that vein in their religious practice. Yeah, that's just it's just incredible how we can say different words, but yet we're experiencing the same reality. And that's something that Thomas Burton, for example, he discovered later on in his life. First, he was much more of the traditional Catholic brother, monk, 
But as time went on, he began to to see that was true of the religions of of the East, and he went to the Far East, went to Asia, and he and then he began to write about that, and he saw that they were the same, not only the same root, but the practices, as you're saying, had a lot of commonalities to them. The, the more contemplative, meditative practices, they produced an awareness of something or someone that was very similar, regardless of what religion or tradition you were part of. And for anyone listening that hasn't looked, we have back episodes where we actually went through the Chauncey, uh, which was a, a book that Thomas Merton had wrote that we talked about several of the stories, maybe 30 or 40 of those stories in the book. If you look back in prior episodes, you'll see those. So they're very good. There are lots of good stories, lots of. And what I saw in the Tao Te Ching, too, was. It, it was showing me examples of how to much more than in a lot of other ways that that uh, that looked at things more from a uh, philosophical point. Studying the Tao has given me some practicality. For example, water. Yeah. The largest body of water is the lowest, and it gives back continually to the rest of the world. Those ideas that show me, oh, yeah, I see that. It's just, i just very grateful uh, for for being on this path, really. Water is a perfect example, a metaphor for humility, or that it seeks the lowest place, the Tao Te Ching says. And it says the same thing, Paul says the same thing about Christ in, in Philippians 2, that he didn't, that Christ not consider it. Robert to be equal to God, but emptied himself, yes. became nothing. So this is talking about the the humility of Christ as God, not Christ yes. as a man, but the humility of God, you could say. But I, I want to talk about uh, Christian non-duality and the Beatitudes that i gone back and re-listened actually to some of your podcasts that you spoke about that that was so good and i'd suggest the same for anyone actually too i will add your podcast if it's not there already to the resources at buddyc.org so you'll have access to that if you have difficulty finding it it's easy to find any of your aggregators but i had a couple of verses i wanted to make sure that we actually just touched on before we we got into some other things, this is seventy four out of the Tao Te Ching out of Marshall Davis's book, The Tao of Christ. If you do not fear death, no one can intimidate you. If you are not afraid of dying, you will not fear living. There will always be people willing to kill for justice, God, or country, but few know the cost of killing. Killing means dying a bit oneself. Weapons always kill the killer. Gosh, that is so, that's just right to the point. And it just, it speaks so well to, when I'm defended, I am attacking myself. I just watched the other day, 
Hexor Ridge, the movie, on, I think it was on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a true story of World War II of a, a man who was a Seventh-day Adventist who was a conscience objector and yet went into the army hoping to be a medic and he ended up being a medic. But it just it talked a lot about his faith and demonstrated how his faith interacted with this culture of, of war that was in the military and in the United States fighting an evil, right. <laughs> fighting, fighting fascism. And, and, and it was it, it's along the same lines of what, what he was saying in, in that movie is what this, what the Tao Te Ching says here. Yeah. It's how about, let's talk about one more verse and then I want to get into the Beatitudes. If you don't mind, let's see. I had so many marked. Let me find one here. This is, let's see. Oh, okay. 21. The highest way is to live. The highest way to live is complete surrender to God. But God is not who or what you think God is. God's formless, yet manifested in form. God cannot be measured yet is the source of everything. God has been known by people from the beginning of history. By God, all things are known. How do I know God? I know God by God. No one comes to God except through God. A lot of people come into recovery. This is a recovery podcast, but we find a lot of folks have problems with that God word. They see God in the steps and and, they, and they're saying, no, I don't want any part of that, because in their thinking, a lot of people think uh, that God has let me down, and I hate God, and I don't want any part of this. And then we find out that my ideas of what God is are not uh, really correct. They're still not correct, Marshall. <laughs> no, no, they can't, they can't, <laughs> they can't be. be. Okay. No, yeah, no, no. I had to give that and, up. And, yeah. yeah. And even if you use non-dualistic language, right. even those, are, once, once they are seen as ideas and you start defending those ideas aren't true. Yeah. So you yeah. have to, it's beyond ideas. Uh, a lot of times we translate that just to love. I really think that if the, writers of the new testament would have known how much trouble that god is love would have brought they would have left that out i don't think (laughs) because that takes god from being a person out there to god actually being the action of love so god's a verb not a noun and then it's that action of love that is god is the way that that we're learning that, that i'm starting to know that it's it's just fantastic that uh, all these practices speak in the same direction. I did have one thing I really wanted to talk to you about was now you had two or three different experiences with getting here. Correct. Didn't you have an experience younger in life? I thought. I- yes, I did. I didn't. Like, like I said, when you're telling the story. Yeah, sure. Things you yes. think you leave out. Right. Things you put in. Right. When I was here. But I, I did have a different experiences. I can talk about those if you, 
You want please, me to? please, yeah. and then, uh, well, then from there, I'd like to go yeah, into the Beatitudes. Yeah, yeah, one was I was still in college, it was the very end of college. I think it was the last semester of college after I had already uh, become a Christian. In fact, I had become a Christian in the summer, and this experience happened in the fall. So it was just a few months later, and I was outside the dormitory, and I was with my girlfriend, who, who then became my wife, and we were just doing what you do. Look up in the sky and the stars, and that type of thing that we all have this kind of awesomeness of the universe. But this this time it was more than just your typical sense of awe. This time it was it produced this sensation of uh, falling apart, of disintegrating, like I was talking about with Isaiah being undone. So it got to the point where I was just began to physically tremble. And my wife was right there with me at that time. See, she remembers it vividly that, and at the time I said, and she reminded me of it later, that it was like God just brushed me, kind of like brushed me with his finger or something like that. And that was all I could possibly withstand because I was going to die, basically. So it was really a, it was really a, a powerful experience. But it was very momentary, just lasted for a short period of time. And then I went on from that. And then a, another experience happened 20 years later. I always say that there's kind of this 40-year period of time from the, the first one to, 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 the, to the, right. the, the shift that happened 20 years later. I was at a retreat center in Maryland and uh, run by the Shalem Institute for Spiritual Formation in Washington, D.C. And it was a silent retreat. And during one of the sessions, I had this same sense of, of, of coming undone. Of, but this time, it really felt like death. Felt like I was going, like I was dying, and and it was so powerful that I couldn't stay there, and the people really didn't know what to make of it. So I left early and went home. I was because this was a program for spiritual directors, and I was becoming a spiritual director. I was under spiritual direction, so I went to my spiritual director to try to sort this out, and even they couldn't really understand what was going on there. But later on in my reading that I really, this seemed to be, you know, what John of the Cross talks about is the dark night of the soul, but it really was a psychic or a spiritual death, if you will. It was, and it was terrifying because it, God in that sense is fearful. Christians talk about the fear of God all the time, but this was, but this was experienced as the fear of God that destroys who I think I am and, and everything I ever believed and everything. And that was too much for me to handle. I decided that uh, contemplative prayer meditation was dangerous and I needed to stay away from it. So I, I doubled down, as you the way yes. the term you used. <laughs> on on Christianity and on conservative Christianity. And that's really when I became a very conservative evangelical. And, and, and I became very intolerant of anything else that was not. And then 20 years later, of course, 
that fell apart completely. You, you know, know it's amazing how you went from you had this real experience with the higher power, and then instead of being more open, you did the opposite. Right. Yeah. Uh, because it it was destroying and meant the destruction of everything I believed in, everything I thought I was, everything I thought God was. It destroyed everything, and I just couldn't handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, I couldn't handle that. It seemed too dangerous. It seemed like it was just uh, psychic disintegration. Yes, <laughs> nothingness. Yeah. And uh, of course, it was nothingness. <laughs> but the, the Taoist sense of it, the nothingness, um, which is God, uh, which is not a thing. God is right. no thing. But uh, at that time, I didn't understand that. All I knew was the emotions of it, and so. Right. So I had to take, I had to protect myself from God in Christianity. Wow. So I found that conservative evangelical Christianity was this, was the safest place to hide from God. <laughs> That's what, what a wonderful yeah. statement. Uh, <laughs> you would think it would be the place to find God. Yes, but. right, right. But <laughs> so it, it's kindly shifted. Later on, it highly shifted right. my view of Christianity, and especially the forms that I can't judge other forms of Christianity. I can't really f- judge Catholicism or the Eastern Orthodox or even other Protestants. But I can, because I went through my Baptist and my Evangelical uh, and even neo-Calvinist type of Evangelical, I feel like I can I have something to say to that, and I can speak to that, and I can discern that is simply a way to hide from God, to protect Uh, ourselves from the God that wants to explode all these conceptions of who God is. That reminds me of the verse, they had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. Yes. Yep. That's Uh, it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How do you look at, this is just an off question, but I'm I'm curious. How do you look at providence now? Has that shifted at all the way that you approach? Because the Tao says that every step is on the path. I used to think that everything almost to the point of the Presbyterians falling down the steps. I said, Oh, I'm glad that's over with. That kind of a predestination, uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Has that idea shifted for you in any way? I see, in a sense, everything is uh, predestined, if you will, in in one sense, but only in the sense uh, of this separate self that sees itself in making decisions, which I think very few of our decisions really are decisions that we have made, I think most of them, I don't know if I want to say 100%, but 95% are decided for us. And we just think we're, we are making them. They right. have to do with our conditioning. We have to do with our emotions. We follow our emotions. We follow what, what we think is safest for us or most pleasurable for us or least dangerous for us. So I think that we are directed in that way. But that's only when it comes to this 
separate individual self. But when one sees one is not the separate individual self, but one is one with God, the divine self, that divine self is completely free. There is no determination at all. So see, I'm having it both ways here. <laughs> there is a one head. Everything is working out just the way it has to work out. And you can't work out any other way than it is. Yet the other hand, it is who I am, what I am, is the one that is working all that out. Yes. In yes. control of the whole thing. So you're one with God, to use Christian language, traditional Christian language, we are one with God, who is the one in control of everything. And it's all this moment, right? It's all oh, this right. moment. Right. Uh, it's there. right. And there's not, and we can't compare what happened yesterday to today because they're different moments. So they're not the same. There's nothing to compare. Yeah. And we don't even know what we think of is what just happened is just an idea in our mind anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And and what's going to happen is even more of an idea in our mind. So we can even make ideas in our mind about what's happening right now, even, but it's not about our ideas. It's about the moment. It's about, the Tao that is above and beyond history. It's it's a lot to do with our intention for the moment, as in, am I trying to be helpful in this moment and all the different ways we can define compassion? Or am I, in this interview, uh, am I here to uh, to be helpful and try to provide something for the listeners? Or am I here to make myself look good and talk about me continually? Right. Yeah. Enough talking about me. Let's talk about me some more. That kind of thing. Yeah. Or am I open to other people? I've just, I noticed that in myself, uh, just the last few days, different things that have happened to me. Where, for example, a couple of days ago, I uh, we were driving down a rural road between us and it was on last Friday, I guess it was. And, uh, Shortly ahead of us, I didn't see it, but uh, just not very far ahead of us, a car got in an accident, and it was a serious accident. It hit a car parked on the side of the road, ended up swerving, flipping over on the side, and we came up right afterwards, and no one was there. There was another car there, but they hadn't gotten out or done anything, and we pulled over, and we said, look, if this just happened, maybe there's somebody in the car. And there was somebody in the car. So we stopped and we had to help this person who was trapped inside inside the car. So we called 911 and I stayed with her until the till the, uh, the the rescue people came. But even when I was there talking with her and other people coming and, and, and helping, I was looking upon myself and and thinking, am I listening to what this woman needs from me right now, or am I just thinking what I need? What do I need to do? Right. You know? And I realized afterwards that I really wasn't paying enough attention to what this woman really needed uh, at the moment in the moment of mm-hmm. crisis. I was more concerned with making sure that we had the rescue people there and they car was not going to catch on fire and I was not going to have to try to drag her out of the windshield because the windshield was almost gone. Uh, So 
So I, I, re, I was reflecting upon that afterwards that night and the next day. And then there's another event that happened, a couple other events, same type of thing where I realized that I was in my head rather than in the moment uh, right. with, with, with this woman. And I realized how important it is for us to be in the moment with other people rather than in our heads thinking about the future. Yes, yes. How have you seen, well, that's how I always learn things is after the fact, I see how I behaved, whether positively or negatively or somewhere in between. Over the years, how how has your personal spiritual practices, if you don't mind me asking, how have they changed? How have they evolved? Yeah. That seems to be a, a big thing for a lot of folks as far as they see a lot of changes. I know I have. I used to, especially when I was doing that uh, spiritual direction program and throughout the whole period of time when I was uh, leading a meditation group in our church and I was leading re- re- retreats for our denomination. I saw spiritual practices as disciplines that had to be conducted in a certain way. And there was a part of it that thought that these were means to to an end, a goal right. To, right. to achieve, whether that goal was being closer to God or, or whatever. And now I realize that there's no way I can not be in the presence of God, no way I can be closer to God than we already are right now. So yes. there's no need for a spiritual discipline that is goal-oriented. So I don't have any goal-oriented uh, spiritual disciplines right now. I do have moments of uh, prayer and meditation, but they arise spontaneously throughout the day. If I'm sitting on my porch and I'm reading a book or something, I'll just wait. I'll just pause. I'll just be present at the moment with what's going on around me. And but it's not planned. I'll say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this first thing in the morning for 20 minutes or a half hour or whatever. I'm gonna read this book so much every day. Right. I read these books and I do this spontaneous type of contemplation or or meditation but they aren't a discipline in the sense of i'm i do this twice a day and i read these books every evening or whatever so it's become more spontaneous and less regimented how also too thank you also how, how has your prayer life changed that is my prayer life i don't really I don't really ask, I do not ask God for anything, hardly at all. Sometimes I do. Like I was praying for this woman. (laughs) I didn't want, I was praying for that car, that the ignition was not going to catch the car on fire. I was praying for that. And I was praying that she actually was all right and she wasn't bleeding out. in, in the in the car, even though she was conscious and stuff, uh, so I do pray when things happen. But I, it's more of an acceptance that whatever happens is God's will, and that God is working all things out the way they should be, and nothing needs to change at all. So it's more of a complete trust and surrender and faith. 
in the providence of God, use the term using before, rather than petitionary prayer, intercessory prayer that says, okay, this is what I really think needs to happen, and I sure hope that God will do what I think ought to, be, ought to happen. And if I pray enough and get enough people to pray with me, then that will happen. It's if we try to twist God's arm or at least try to nudge God in the direction that we want God to go in. I, that right. is completely gone. I have Good. no no need to direct things. Yeah, ah, direct the way yeah. things are at all. That's what I we haven't talked about this before, so I didn't know, but that's what I suspected. Same here, same here. I, I one day I, I was out for lunch and the people beside us, I'm obviously in the south, from the south, still live here. The folks beside us were saying the blessing over the lunch, and I was listening, and I thought, everything that guy just prayed was for him. I said, I wonder what my prayer life would look at like if I stopped asking for things. Right. And so I told my friends, I said, I've got a group of Christian friends that I meet with a lot on Wednesdays, and we read and pray and go eat breakfast. And I said, I'm going to try not to ask for anything this week and see what happens. Nothing imploded. The world didn't stop. And my prayers got much, much shorter (laughs) because I realized I was asking for things the whole time. That's all I was doing was sitting there requesting things to happen the way I thought they should be. And in my order and my timeline, I love that, um, that knocking the door will be opened but only the door you need to go through. I want to see those doors the rest of my life. Every one of them open right now, but it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. It doesn't and, happen. Yeah. And there is in the midst of all of this, of acceptance the way things are, a gratefulness for the way things are, yes. thankfulness. So this sense of thanksgiving and gratitude uh, is increased and, and less of a sense of fear that, things might not happen the way I want them to happen. So I need to be constantly praying to make sure everything's covered and everybody's covered. Yeah. It's up to me to, yes, it's up to me to, uh, to make this work. It's not up to me. Do you see, I've read a good bit. Is it John Mayer that, that talked a lot about it? Meditation in the Bible, as far as what we think of as meditation, do you see that in in different scripture throughout the Bible? Or I'm just curious. I don't know how you would see meditation in the Bible. Meditation, by definition, is really doing nothing. And uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure how you would even see it. When it talks about Jesus going off by himself, I see that as Jesus doing exactly that, being in silence and being in solitude. And that means presence without words or thoughts. So I see right. Jesus as, as what, doing what we would call contemplative prayer or meditation, even though it may not say that, use those words. Yeah. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, it talks about meditation upon the Word of God or meditation upon script on the law or something like that. Actually, that verse, I think it's from Psalms, be still and know that I am God. Yes. I use that some as a, an example of, of some sort of stillness practice within yes, right. the Bible. Yeah. 
that's really good. That's real good. Let's talk about the Beatitudes for a moment. Unless if there's unless there's anything else we need to need to tie up that we've started talking about because in the minutes we have left that was just so eye-opening for me i just love your podcast i can't say enough about it i have it on my list to to get as soon as they come up and they're they're there for me just the whole uh idea that jesus was teaching that this is what jesus was teaching this is what he was sharing yeah uh, and i I love the way the Beatitudes and you took the Beatitudes and shine the light of non-duality on those. How, when you're looking at a verse in the Bible or you're looking and you're thinking, for me, stuff just bubbles up when I'm looking at that. Out of the Beatitudes, what's one or two that really spoke to you the most or that speak to you that? really help to form and fashion your daily walk i probably if there's one that's more has been more important in my life than any of the others is is most of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled yeah. that for me if when i look back upon my life i see there has been this relentless search for easy answers but just keep hungering and keep thirsting and keep knocking and keep, as Jesus says, and keep looking and, and then you will find, keep asking, if you will. And that, that type of perseverance and that type of determination is absolutely essential. I think in the spiritual life that we do not become satisfied with the way we think it is in the thinking that our religion and our set of beliefs and our church and our whatever has all the answers, but be constantly examining and looking for depths that maybe we haven't seen before. Too many people have the idea that Christianity is a package deal. You get it. You have a bunch of ideas and doctrines and beliefs and moral rules and we just have to convince everybody else of that and that's it but it's also need to be continually converted continually challenged continually dying and rising to a new a new understanding a new self and that's that sense of determination is absolutely persistence is absolutely necessary i think Yes, I, I see that beatitude sometimes as more of a threat than a promise in that if what I seek, I am going to find sometimes what I'm seeking, I think it's what I need, but right. many times it's not. Right. Uh, and I don't know that in the middle of what's going on. I've One of my affirmations that I use on a regular basis is I won't to seek love's will for my life. I, I want to seek, I want to be of maximum use, change what I'm seeking, please. <laughs> if it needs to change. Yeah, that's just, that's so good. That's so good. I was just thinking if there's anything else we wanted to cover, you have anything you want to add? No, I, I will. Since you mentioned the Beatitudes several times, I thought I, I should mention that I did 
put, I did rework all those transcripts from those, the podcast and did put them into a book, which I just oh, good. Uh, did published last month called the Sermon on the Mount, a non-dual wow. interpretation. So now you can, people, you can, people can actually read it now. So that's, I thought I I'll, I'll that. make a note of that and I'll make a link for that too. Okay. Uh, because that's something that I think a lot of people, and there's so many people I find, uh, in recovery that have the same experiences that we're talking about and don't know what to do with them. And it's so good that we have a way to discuss those things. We have some avenues now that if we have some bright light moment shining, like the Paul conversion kind of story, we have places we can discuss and hear other folks take on on the same type of experiences. Right. Yes. And, and not be, not be afraid. Like you were talking about that you were committing heresy or so whatever you said. I, I was going to lose my Jesus card. I don't right. want to lose my Jesus card. <laughs> right. People are afraid of that. People are afraid that if they had an experience that is outside of the norm then they need to, then that's dangerous. I need to suppress that, which is what I exactly what I did. Yes. You know, I know about personal experience, the danger of trying to suppress an encounter with God and, huh. and anything that doesn't fit this, this model that so many Christians have is suppressed and is labeled dangerous. Or I, I was doing a, a, a Zoom meeting with a group of, Methodist, actually, a men uh, in a Sunday school group, I think it was, or maybe it was a men's group. And there's one of them that was just really didn't like what I was saying, you know, was calling me all, all types of right. names. Because you could feel the fear. This yeah. was outside of the parameters of what his religion said was acceptable and safe. So he had to fight it. Yes. But most of the people were not afraid of stepping out of coloring outside the lines and stepping outside the, the boundaries of our human religion, which is what basically what Christianity has become exactly what Jesus spoke against. Yes. Pharisaic religion. Yeah. That's what we do though. We do. The last thing we want to do is surrender. The last thing we want to do is let go. We're going to do everything we can not to let go, yet have yeah. everything we think of as a benefit to us. Yeah, and not, and not let anybody else right. let go. You know. Yes. We got, we, we want, so we want to control everybody else so they won't be a threat to us. Because if they start going in that direction, that might threaten everything. Yes. And, uh, God is so fragile that my... My negative thoughts can tear the whole world down. So yeah. egotistical to think that that's possible. I spent a great conversation today. Thank you, Marshall. I really appreciate your time and uh, being open to, to meeting with me. And I know that a lot of the listeners to the podcast, a lot of them uh, have the same background. And I know several that who listen to your podcast as well. Any books or podcasts or any reading or uh, media material that you would suggest? Well, I did a interview 
not too long ago with a man who has written a book called The Parallel Tao Te Ching, which is a comparison of English translations. Now, I know there are, and I'm sure you've come across them, there are sites that will have uh, parallel tra- translations online. But here's a book that he did. Let me put this up for What's his name? Is, that, is this backwards for you? Is backwards no, it's good. It's okay. good. I can see it. Yeah. It's called The Parallel Tao Te Ching, and the author is uh, Larry N. Campbell. Okay. And it's a forward by William Martin, author of Walking the Tao. I don't know if you are familiar with that book. I'm not. But, I'm not familiar yeah. with that one. I will yeah. put a. I'll add that book to our bookstore under resources at Buddy yeah. C. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, buddy. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.